Podcast dedicated to discussing movies relegated to a late night purgatory, and I am one of your hosts, Adam Walker. Joining me as always on this spooky black magic filled episode, tie fighting black magic filled episode, is Pat Mitchell. We're hot on the heels of last week's Hollow Man for something completely different. Now for something completely different for today's episode. Now for something completely different. Ni hao to all of our Hong Kong listeners. Yeah, one of these days we gotta we gotta hopefully find some really sick Ugandan movie because we apparently have a sizable contingency of listeners over in Uganda. I think we're the number three movie podcast in Uganda, so that's fun. Uganda, be kidding me! <laughs> nice. <laughs> okay, you, you got you got the baseball scoreboard like in the queue, but you don't have a, a, a rim shot just ready to go for the. Oh god! <laughs> just that's the only sound effect we can afford. We're, we're so we're so destitute. We're podcast destitute. Yeah, we're really strapped for cash over here in the production department. But hey. We work with what we got. Yeah, let's fight. Okay, so before we get a move in on this today, because Pat, I know you got to move. You got to get moving. So we're going to zip right along through this. We're going to do our uh, stump the chump game that we've been doing here every episode. Your current standing record is one and two, and I am one and one. So we could be tied after today. That's See, I don't believe that. I know you said that last. You got three right. Well, this is how many episodes is this? We're now in episode six. I guess. Oh, so yeah. So that's one and All two, right. and one you're and right. one. You're right. okay. You're right. So here we go. Um, I didn't want to. I'm not trying to do this to you on purpose. I. I this is literally. I pulled this person up. Literally because um, I'm engaged in a current uh, episodic program that involves this person. So I just said, well, I'm just going to use this individual as our stump the chump. So it's okay. really just just uh, coincidental. But Do you think I'll get it or I won't get it? It might be a tough one. I'm going to be okay. honest with you. I'm going to be honest with you. But I'm not going to go straight from the beginning and then work successively through i'm gonna hop around just find a logical place to start yeah a logical place so let's uh let's get back let's get back here at least down into the the depths of their filmography their 
Okay, are you ready, my friend? Yes. We got one minute. Silver Spoons. Knight Rider. Mr. Belvedere. Teen Wolf 2. It's not Hasselhoff? No. Valerie. Teen Wolf 2. Simon, the TV series. Okay. Um, King of the Hill. Oh. Scrubs. Let's see. King of the Hill, Scrubs. Tom Petty. Oh, uh, no. Horrible Bosses, 30 seconds. Oh, um, um. Is it Arrested the guy Development. The Simpsons. Extract. Ten seconds. Is it? Is he not in Office Space? The no, no, he's not. The this switch. Is this is. This All is right, not and one this minute is... up, and finally your last clue: Ozark. Oh, um, yeah. Oh God, what's his name? Fuck. I know you got it, man. I don't know that guy's name. Give me five more seconds. Um, five, five seconds. There you go. I'm I can't think it. of that guy. I can't think of his name. Jason Bateman. Jason Bateman. Fuck. We're tied. Hey. We're tied. Right. One and two. No, that was a good one. Yeah. So I King, started. I started watching Ozark. Hill, yeah, he's in. He's in The Simpsons and King of the Hill. Weird. That that was really throwing me off because I was thinking it was what's his name from Office Space with the with the, who played Milton. I can never remember oh, that uh, actor's Steven, guy. Stephen Root. Steve. Yeah, I thought Steven it was Root. him. Yeah. Um, I Damn. thought maybe well, that's a I, good thought, one. I thought maybe the success of '80s sitcoms would maybe help give it away because he, you know he's a no. As soon as I knew it, then I, then I just couldn't think of his name. Yeah, it's uh, this is a tough game when you know who it is and you just can't think of the name and you're just like, oh yeah, we're already like our brains are so fried. Like I feel like neither we both have trouble coming up with names and names of people, names of movies, and all that shit. So. This is a tough game to be playing with two fried brains like us. We're tied then. One and two. Yeah, I started watching Ozark with uh, Charlotte, and I really like it a lot. So um, it's a good show. Good program. I like Jason Bateman. He's a good actor. I do, too. He he seems like he'd be a fun guy to hang out with. Yeah, I think I, I like him a lot. So today, circling back to what I was kind of hinting at earlier, we are talking about the Boxer's Omen today. For me, uh, a very, very special movie and uh, just a real, I don't, you know, again, I don't want to get too ahead of the game here, but it's a something. It's a something of a movie. That's that's what I'm going to tell you. Um, and I saw this movie actually relatively recently, didn't know anything about it until I went to, there's a pretty amazing theater here in Seattle called the beacon and their programming is just top notch. They're always showing movies that are just very splendid. And I wish I could go there all the time, but I can't. And, uh, I went to go see the boxers omen and just had, had my head just blown clean off to be honest with you about it. You can only imagine. And uh, it was 
It is in the uh, Shaw Brothers repertoire in a in an area an era of it that I think is until recently has been fairly neglected because it's later. It's in the this is in the early eighties when speaking of shakeups in the company, I think Shaw Brothers were trying to kind of pivot a little bit away from their uh, Wuja fair of previously uh, previous uh, decades into something different to kind of keep up with uh, trends in the international market. So it's a different movie from what you would expect from Shaw Brothers. And uh, so that's what I, uh, that's when I saw it and I just fell in love with it. Pat, as far as uh, my understanding is, this was your first time seeing it, right? You didn't know anything about this movie. That's right. I was, well, I was very excited um, after you had recommended uh, Riccio and that was a, a an abundant success. Uh, went over really well over here at the Mitchell House. Um, th- uh, this was not at all what I was expecting. I was thoroughly prepared by title alone and by seeing that Bolo Yoon was in this for like some sort of over the top boxing revenge movie with like violent camp, and instead it, it was. Uh, Instead, what I got was like a certifiable spiritual quest movie. <laughs> and I was not disappointed at all, but I was I was thrown off kilter because I was um, expecting one thing and totally got another. Um, it's like my initial thought, I would say it's it's like falling down meets seven years in Tibet as directed by uh, Jodorowsky. <laughs> like, yeah. It's a, it is nuts. Like falling down from the aspect of like, uh, you know, his journey takes place in one day, but this is a spiritual journey. Um, so you watch him like journey through his own spirituality. Uh, and obviously this, this seven years in Tibet reference being, you know, him becoming a monk and and all this, but yeah, it, it it is not just some of its parts though. It is all over the place. Well, and I will say, I feel like you were somewhat on the right course with your original uh, expectation. Is it is kind of a violent high boxing revenge flick. There is that idea that is you know woven into this movie that becomes something quite different it basically it starts off with that premise because right off it's the bat it's the catalyst that's- for what happens but it, it is there's nary a there's very little fighting it's like yeah. the opening scene and then the and then the rematch and then that's it that's it yeah well I, I, like, unless- of the of the like near two hours how much of it is is the are those boxing sequences 20 minutes yeah, if that. If that. <laughs> so, right. Yeah. Yeah, so there you go. Um, and the plot description, if you haven't kind of gathered where we're getting it with this, it's essentially uh, a gangster is sent on a mission to avenge his high boxer brothers uh, being – he was crippled in a fight by Bulo Young. Um, and so he's sent on a mission to avenge him back to Thailand to fight 
Bolo Young and to reclaim the title that he stole from his brother. But then pretty soon in the movie, all of that gets thrown way off track when he gets visited by the specter of a Buddhist monk. And that leads him to a Buddhist temple, which takes him on this spiritual quest, as you said, where he ends up fighting black magicians and witches and other monks. The chaos and mayhem ensues from there on with some Thai boxing and fighting peppered in. <laughs> this is the hard this is the hardest plot description of all time. But I think the crux of it is, and I'm glad that you mentioned it, is that this movie I feel is about it, it is a spiritual journey. It's about a transformation. It's a it's a it's a yeah. one man's quest to transform himself or to become enlightened in a lot of ways. That's yes. what I that's what I've always gleaned from this movie is because he is he's a gangster. He's you know, he's a he's a ruffian. And then this is him um you know, sublimating himself to something maybe greater, a greater a greater self. Anyways. <clears throat> so, um but this is a pretty obscure flick as far as I mean even by, you know, Hong Kong standards, this is an obs- obscure flick. Definitely domestically, you know, to the best of my knowledge, this didn't start making the rounds over here until 2006. That's when it officially started getting um, U.S. distribution. So we're talking what about the hell. Yeah. So good, you know, close to 30 years into this film being made. <laughs> probably no hardly anybody over here knew knew anything about it. Sure. Obviously, there's always going to be the diehards that have their finger, you know, very squarely nestled in the, you know, the underground. But, the, you know, again, I had never heard of it until recently. Um, so I don't really have any financial, you know, none of the budgetary information. Or anything. I actually had the budgetary information still plugged in from Hollow Man. I looked at it. And I was like, that's not right. <laughs> I had to delete it out I, of my yeah. notes. I'm going to have to look up how many Chinese yen equals a U.S. dollar made. Well, yeah. Who knows? I don't know. I, I, I'm, I, yeah, I'm, I'm going to wager to say that it wasn't the most robust budget because, you know, this is laden with practical effects and a lot of them are really fantastic. Some of them are definitely on the cheaper side, but, you know, I'm sure it wasn't, it was no hollow man in terms of budgetary um, expenditures. No, uh, you know, $90 million or whatever went into that. Didn't break um, the bank. Yeah, hard and, to hard to research some of these uh, obscure foreign movies in terms of expenditures. Yeah, and I tried. You know, I, I definitely did as much diligence as I could within the time to learn more about it. But a lot of it is really just fan blogging about the movie. It doesn't really get into any sort of background information about you know what into making this movie. Um. Review-wise, there was only one, and I think this review actually sums this movie up pretty good. And it's from uh, Jay Seaver from E-Film Critic, who gave the film four out of five stars. He said, 
The Boxer's Omen seems like two extremely different movies made into one, much as one character is. No, that metaphor is not quite right, and I'm not going to spoil one of the more jaw-dropping moments of complete insanity that this movie offers up, even though that would likely leave several dozen for the viewer to discover. It is a downright strange movie wrapped in something conventional and almost unrelated, a fine midnight movie, if there ever was one. There you oh, go. Wow. Is he on yes. is he on payroll? Is this why we're so podcast broke? Because we're paying this guy? <laughs> Playing uh, yeah, we're paying Jay Seaver to <laughs> do reconnaissance, essentially. Dang, so that that's why said, we can only afford the one sound effect. Yeah. yeah. Hello. That's a lot, said, Jay Seaver. <laughs> Pat, do you have anything else? No, it was a, it was like tripping balls or fucking, I felt like I was in a two hour opium den. I don't know what was going on. It was nuts. Nice. That's all I have to say. <laughs> well, that's good. Are you okay? Gr- Did you have a seizure? <laughs> <laughs> oh, like what? Why? Because I just paused there. Yeah, I, I, were you rebooting? No, actually, um, I'll, I'll explain here in a second. Well, that being said, if you don't have anything else to talk about off the top, let's dive into the good, the bad, and the questionable, shall we? So let's get into the good. Uh, I will say that I feel this will be I, I I think this will be one of our more truncated episodes and I've noticed maybe at, t- at times when we do delve into certain f- uh, foreign films or international movies that tends to be the case especially you know the more obscure ones because there's nary detail unless you already have pr- any sort of pre-researched, you know, knowledge about these type of movies. There's nary a lot to find just skimming through the internet. But, and also I'll say as far as this section goes, because for me personally, I really like this movie a lot. There's not a whole lot that I consider bad about it other than things that we'll get into just here and there. But it is a question-laden movie in certain aspects just because of the nature of the narrative. So that being said, we'll talk about the good here. And what I like to talk about with many movies that we discuss, action related movies, whatever. I like movies that start off pretty much from the get go with a wallop. This movie, you just dive right in and there's a fight. There's no there's no sort of expository discussion or messaging leading up to this point. You're just immediately dropped into the middle of a Thai boxing fight that's going whole hog. And, you know, you and I, we both appreciate fight boxing movies. So seeing a good fight sequence right at the top, really uh revs my engine how about you not just that but it's uh bolo yoon is is uh, 
it opens with i think it's a tease though because i'm thinking oh my god i'm gonna get like a bunch of bolo yoon and a bunch of boxing and a bunch of kick-ass like violent boxing yeah and you don't like it's a swerve but it is a nice starting point uh i it's almost as if i i while a fully appreciating this movie i almost long for the movie that this this movie kind of supposes it is like it's <laughs> it starts there and i love it um yeah i bolo yoon's in it and then it pivots straight out of that but for those that opening 15 minutes i was very happy yeah you're expecting blood sport and then you get yeah yeah you're you're that's that's a that's a good point. I am ex- I'm just expecting Bloodsport. I mean, you have Bolo Yoon, and it's a kickboxing tie boxing movie, and so yeah, I I think I kind of just went there, but um, I'm not disappointed where it went. But uh, I I do wonder if if we had gotten a straightforward movie, what that would have looked like. I don't know if I would have liked it as much, but good opening. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, and it's always a, a delight seeing Bolo Young because he's just such a distinctive individual. Um, I know. Because he's just a monster. He's just a beast. And we, we gravitate towards him uh, specifically because I think you you talked about the brevity of us talking about foreign films. It's because we don't have any – we we have no relation to any actors uh, in these movies for the most part, there might be one that is uh, is a familiar face, and Bolo Jung is that familiar face. But when you can't when you can't um, make connections and uh, you know connect the dots with somebody's filmography or trajectory, it's hard to be like you know this actor playing so and so, you know, was really good because I liked him in this. But you know, there's none of that going on outside of seeing Bolo Jung. So seeing a familiar face does does help. Right. If if you were a little bit more um, diligent or uh, knowledgeable about Hong Kong film, I'm sure there's you could connect the dots a little bit more. And you you know, I I do enjoy a lot of these films, and I try and see as many as I can. And I definitely, after you know, I saw this, I wanted to dive more into the uh, director Chi Hu Kui's Chi Hu Kui's. Uh, filmography more because he does have other films that I look uh, that look like they'd be something I would I would enjoy but generally yes you know unless you're an expert on a lot of these Hong Kong movies sometimes you know you can't quite connect the cast to other other things but yeah Bolo yeah. He, he is he is one of those individuals that in a lot of ways he he for being somebody that isn't as much of like a household name like Jackie Chan or Bruce Lee. He does. He is recognizable to international audiences because he has as been an all time bad guy, too. He's just. Yeah. He's always been yeah. a heel. Yeah. You, he's always, you always a heel. know that he's the bad guy. Right. Because he just has that distinctive look and he's just a monster. And he's he's always been typecast as a heel. You know, so there you go. That's great. As you were implying, though, gets weird right away. 
doesn't take any time and leading up to this goes from being a boxing movie to being a what a gang gangster movie with ghosts and and hacked up bodies and bags. <laughs> so it immediately pivots to the mystical horror aspect. Goes from sports movie into very briefly like a like a gangster movie and then full bore black magic mysticism cult movie. <laughs> right. So that's when you start to see immediately, oh, what did I get into? What did I pay for here? Because um, this is not what I expected. And then basically from there, it just kind of, you know, tilt a whirls right into <laughs> the the bananas uh, movie that we're, gonna, we're, we're getting here. Um, I will say, I don't know how much of this is a good, but we do get some choice boobs on glass there also in the first act. I, uh, I don't know how to explain, but, um, <laughs> just some aw- awkward sex with some boobs on glass. <laughs> There's something about just a full, full frontal pressed up against some glass, big tits pressed up against glass. Always. Always good. Although there was some question about the uh, consent in that that uh, <laughs> right. how that started. It was very very strange. Yeah, uh, how it started. But then you're you're led to believe later that it it is a consensual relationship. But it was strange that it didn't seem like she was uh, wanting anything to do with any of that at first. So yeah, and it applies later that well, no surprises that. Um, that our uh, protagonist, he, he apparently likes to likes to dip into the honey quite a bit. Um, and this is just his, <laughs> I guess this is this is his main hoe. The boobs on glass lady is his main hoe while he's out getting but strained. Yeah, what a time. fantastic scene! I I felt <laughs> I felt strange watching it in a semi public space in my house. <laughs> Were there children around? <laughs> Yes, you know, I always, I'm always trying to hide my boner, so it's not, it's not <laughs> fun to have that in the, in the loft on the upstairs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you know, family life, my friend. <laughs> it's I got a, through it. Family life is just a series of hiding boners. <laughs> yes, it is. As, yes, as a wife. As a wise man once said, family life is just a series of hiding your boners. They're uh, just playing hide the boner. Hide yeah. the boner. Oh. Yeah. So that brought me to half mast. I couldn't get the full mast out of fear. So I was brought to half mast. But yes, a shot reverse shot of bountiful breasts being pressed up against some glass. I mean, um, you know, I like to talk about lighting quite a bit in movies. It's one of the things that I generally gravitate towards. But here we have what I feel is the homage, one of the homages that this movie is trying to pay uh, to uh, their Italian brethren. And from what I know, yeah, so from what I know, because I was kind of dancing around this when we were talking about the off the top, Shaw Brothers started releasing this sort of fair in the 80s late 70s and 80s essentially to compete with the italian market they had seen that that people like argento and fulci 
and even Baba were garnering success. And so this is just, and all mind you, this is all hearsay. This isn't anything that I've read. This is all just anecdotal discussion I've had with other people about this movie and these, this era of Shaw brothers is since they were trying to kind of keep up with the changing tide and horror being the more predominantly popular exploitate exploited un, underground genre, whatever they started implementing these elements into their movies. And that's why you, you have a, a movie like boxers Omen or the, the black magic trilogy, which is another series of movies that kind of, were um, the predecessors to this type of style, stylistic shift. But the colors is that stylistic change being implemented. You got the greens and the reds to give it that eerie, um, eerie sort of bloody hue and to, uh, I guess, indicate also putrescence in certain areas, things like that. But also in the more uh, grandiose ways, the the lighting and like the in the monasteries, things like that. So, you know, we have these nods to Argento and things like that with this movie, as you probably picked up i don't know if you specifically connected those dots i just made that connection because i had had a discussion about it but did you make that kind of connection when you were watching it that that's what was going on here oh yeah yeah it's it has a it has a hyper surrealism giallo feel going on especially in a lot of the like the black magician's lair and the way things are are backlit and lit from underneath and just casting huge shadows and, and in bright colors. And yeah, it's, it's very reminiscent. Right. And the set design is fantastic. I now granted a lot of this stuff from what I know was shot on location. So these were actually, these scenes were shot in actual monasteries and, um, religious temples around, Thailand and, and Southeast Asia, as far as I know. So clearly that use adds what, use what you got. Yeah. Yeah. That adds to the grandiosity of this movie and it really taking you to that place of wonderful, magical mysticism that it's, it's trying to take you to. So, so obviously I love all of that about this movie. It's got so many elements of different things that I like in different movies all just really slapped together into this one movie. <laughs> yeah, I love it too. Yeah, and the practical effects by and large are pretty fantastic. They really do a creative job of utilizing the, uh, the practical effects. There are some exceptions that maybe I'll talk a little bit more about um, here. Um, I don't want to put too much into different categories because there's not a lot, not a lot to do, but it's almost like I'll just put it this way: some of the practical effects—they're clearly very obviously cheap, but it almost adds to the charm of this movie. It doesn't necessarily dis- detract; 
it adds to, to, to the charm and the fairy tale aspect of it that you clearly see that these tarantulas are just like toys. They're fake and they're being puppeteered <laughs> to, you know, drink some sort of black magic concoction, <laughs> you know, things like that. They have little tiny straws. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it almost like, uh, it adds to the it, it adds to the like weird mysticism of it. Like you feel like you're in a like a nightmare. And right. you know how everything in a nightmare is kind of warped uh from its vision and reality. Like it just feels like everything is slightly off kilter. And it, yeah, it, it it's it's good. I think it also kind of almost adds an extra layer of playfulness to the movie. Yeah. Because that is one thing yeah. I do love about Shaw Brothers and this era of Hong Kong film and this particular style is, yeah, there's a lot of weird, dark, horrific, whatever aspects, but there's also a playfulness to it. You know, it's almost like a, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't feel sinister. Right. Yeah. It's almost it's almost as if it's it's a it's just a really wild adult children's show. <laughs> yeah, it's it's got some adult. Uh, it's like a whimsical feel, but for more contemporary adult audience, I think. I guess. Right. Exactly. That's that's how uh, um, that's how I feel to a certain extent. Um, specifically in terms of practical effects, one, there's one scene that I always, always love to talk about. And I don't know if you were really taken by this movie or this aspect of the movie. Um, when, uh, Hung is meditating in the urn with, well, I guess at first it would be best described that the monks were all essentially training him to become a sorcerer or they were imbuing him with their Buddhist magic to kind of elevate him to be the sorcerer. But when he is meditating in the, the giant clay pot and the uh, incantations, the words of the incantations all stream into the, the urn and circle around him and then kind of um, transfer into him. That whole scene, I it's one of my favorite scenes in a movie ever. <laughs> There's just something so intense about that and, and really just magic, literally magical about how they were able to create that effect of. Yeah, the, it was. How did they? I just wondered how they did it, like without using like obviously any sort of modern CGI aspects. It's it's the, when the characters are swirling around and are like superimposed on his back or whatever. Like, yeah, right. it's crazy. Yeah. And that's why it, it's so fantastic to me is, you know, it shows that you, if you're willing to put the effort into it, you don't need CGI to create these really wonderful visually stunning effects like that that really make you think, wow, this is very cool. And I guess from an occult, mystical, magical standpoint, 
I just like this whole concept that's being implied here of our spiritual connection to the use of words, because that's what a lot of magic, that's what magic is. Magic is, you know, um, utilizing words and ways to affect our will to affect some sort of force upon the world. You know, that's, that's the nature of incantations and spells. Essentially it's, it's, you know, becoming one with the words yeah, as if they have that that supernatural sort of nature to them. So, I guess that's why I particularly am drawn to that. Is it's it's very very smart, you know, way of representing that idea of our connection with words and things like that, and and it being it's transformative power essentially. So, once again, love that part. One of my favorite parts of a movie ever. Um, also speaking of the magic, if I cinematically, if, if I were to tell somebody or give somebody examples of what I think, if there is like a true black magic, if there's a true representation of black magic and way, the way I would want it represented in movies, it's not so much like the typical Western as much as I love this stuff, the, 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 the occult, pagan, satanic kind of 60s, 70s representation of it, I do like that style a lot. Um, I think over time it's been kind of diluted by it being co-opted so and exploited so successively. So at this point... I would rather point to this movie and movies of this ilk to say, this is how I like black magic being represented because it's so weird and grotesque (laughs) and how the black magicians develop their spells (laughs) and, and how they create or impel their will onto the world. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. the 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 because it's got this body horror aspect to it, you yeah, know. It does. Where I would say, like, go ahead. Well, it's just particularly in the very very obvious usage of regurgitated food, where the actors themselves, right there, clearly on screen, they are taking food that is being chewed up and spit out by one person and putting it directly into their mouth chewing it and spitting it up and and so on and so forth. There's, (laughs) there's no trickery or anything going on here. They're clearly doing that right there. (laughs) I, I didn't have, so I didn't have it. I only saw this once, uh, you know, all the way through like a week ago. So like it's, when you see this for the first time, I'm, I'm just like trying to absorb everything. So I didn't like, I didn't have a chance to really think about uh, any deeper aspects of it. So I, I, it's interesting to hear you to hear you make these connections. Cause I was like along for the ride and just trying to piece together what exactly is going on almost at every turn, like just trying to stay with it and, and also like absorb the like grandiose <laughs> visual uh, effects and and qualities of it um 
so yeah, it's it's interesting to hear you hear you talk about it more in depth because I was it, I was just like somebody that was took shrooms for the first time and it was just <laughs> like I'm I'm just I'm not trying to walk around at the zoo. I'm like hanging on for dear life on the couch here. <laughs> well, and that's funny because um, you talking about feeling as if you're taking hallucinogens while you're watching this movie. I like to think about, I think it was you that made um, this statement. We were talking about, we were talking about how Sue briefly when we were doing house. Um, yeah. 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 We were talking about uh, our how on our Halloween special a couple years ago. We were talking about haunted houses. I believe you said something you can do, or you said this at least at some point throughout our discussions is this is a movie that takes the drugs for you. No, this yeah. Is another example yeah, that was, of that. <laughs> this is a, definitely another example <laughs> yeah. of that. Yeah. <laughs> this movie takes to the live vicariously through somebody else. Yeah. Yeah. So totally, I understand. This is a movie that first time viewing, you just gotta really try your best to process the onslaught of imagery and try and make any sort of sense of the narrative. And then upon subsequent viewing, you can start to make the connections more to, you know, what is, what's the internal logic of the movie, if there, what, or lack thereof, and maybe other things. But yeah, so for me, that's what I like about it is it it has these representations of things that I'm interested in, in my own, you know, personal, whatever dalliances like magic and occultism represents it in ways that I feel are really creative and fun that deviate completely from, especially Western norms and movies, horror movies and occult movies. That's why I like these Hong Kong films that, that do delve into these things because it's a lot of, yeah, just Southeast Asian, Hong Kong representations of black magic and mysticism is just so fantastic to me. And it really does it really well in this movie on so many different levels. You know, I talked about the food, the weird food rituals, but also the first black magician's use of anamorphic weaponry. He just has this, like... He just has a grab bag of crazy ways of attacking the monk, which ultimately ends in him pulling his own head off in an almost thing sort of way, like John Carpenter's thing, where the head is this this tentacled entity unto itself (laughs) that attacks him. I had that exact thing. The black magician, you know, being self decapitated and then yeah the neck tendrils wrapping around uh chan hung's face or it was very reminiscent of the thing i had that as well right and i like the idea that it implies when when they're having this battle it implies that it's not necessarily in a space of realism to me, it implies that they're almost battling each other in their minds or in some astral sort of plane. The area that they're fighting is is detached from a material 
place, as far as I can tell. I don't know if you kind of picked up on that at all. It's not. No, yeah, I definitely, I definitely thought like the bodies were just the vessels. Like right. it didn't feel like there was any real world application to any of the any of the battling that was going on. Yeah. So that was fantastic. So we have that whole part, and that's you know that's sprung from to give a little backstory to what's going on too. So Hung, he becomes a monk because we're not really explaining this movie very well. We're just obviously talking about, you know, little things here and there. But Hung becomes a monk because one of the elder monks who is basically in a limbonic stasis at this point because he was assassinated by this black magician before he reached immortality. Uh, He essentially... He calls forth to have Hung come to the monastery because he says that he is was his twin in a previous life. So Hung goes to Thailand to fight Bolo Young and then is, through fate, brought to the monastery to talk about why he had this vision of a monk while he was interacting with the gangsters. To give you a little bit more uh, explication as to what's going on. And that's what leads him to becoming a monk. And then he gets trained as a sorcerer. And then that leads him to fighting this black magician that assassinated the head monk that is now he's encased in his own decaying body, essentially, because he can't reach immortality. So there we go to give you to lead you up to where we're at here, because if you haven't seen this movie, you don't know, obviously, what's going on. So that's what happened. So he fights this black magician. He eventually defeats his black magician, which sets him back on the path to avenging his brother, who was paralyzed by Bolu Young in the ring. And that's what takes us back to the second fight scene. The one of the two Thai boxing fight scenes, which, again, is great. The, the fight scenes are great, too. It's not like... They weren't like an afterthought. You know what I'm saying? They gave as much attention to the fight scenes and representing them choreographically as they did all the other aspects of the movie. Right? Do you feel that way? Yeah. The But the boxing is almost like a departure. It's almost like what? It, it's weird. It's like the boxing scenes don't belong in this movie. <laughs> well, and that's what like J.C. was it's saying. Like, what are, why are these here? Yeah. You know, that's why I like that review, that quote, or that pull quote is because he's essentially saying we've got two movies kind of working side by side here. To <laughs> I don't see, I don't agree. I I don't I don't agree with that. There's you one know, movie here, and those boxing scenes have no business being in this movie. Like it's not like two movies. It's like why are these boxing scenes? Here? <laughs> like it's called the Boxer's Omen. I get it, and it's like I'm expecting boxing. But it's like they stand out in uh, in a weird way. It's almost like it almost like they they they're the boxing scenes are the ones that should make the most sense, and they make the least sense in the <laughs> batshit catawampus fucking movie that this is. It like makes normal scenes stand out as like weird. It's like what is this? very straightforward boxing match doing in this movie. This is weird. Go back to like spitting, uh, you know, 
papaya into each other's mouths and shit. <laughs> I like how you, yeah, I like how you you kind of viewed that because, yeah, that does make sense as far as how someone could 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 see this movie is that the the scenes that are trying to ground this movie into reality make the least sense of all the other aspects <laughs> yeah. of the movie. <laughs> but no, but I I agree that there was like time and attention paid to they're not throwaway scenes. Like they they are choreographed nicely and they're they're well put together. There's just not enough of them to like make a boxing movie per se. Right. It's, they're like in there to to drive further home the the revenge and and transformation process that's going on here. But they are certainly it is even though boxer is in the name of the movie, it is it is not a boxing movie. I would say. You think they should have because maybe there might be some loss in translation here. I you know obviously, but. Do you think it would have been better suited to call it the monk's omen? <laughs> no, call it call it the boxer's omen. I like yeah. that because it is it should like catch you by surprise. I like I like that uh, there's no inkling of what it uh, turns into. I I love that it's. I'm also like blown away that like most of my viewing experience was spent on like the set that was primarily used in every heavy metal music video in the eighties. Like it was like from one Dio set to like, Wasp <laughs> to like, fuck. it was like every heavy, me- every heavy metal music video from the eighties is like the black magician's lair. I, I, I couldn't get over it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's true. Like oh. I just, I just was watching, um, like, uh, MTV Classic just has like Metal Mania on the weekends or whatever and just plays like old metal videos. It's awesome. And I've never seen the Iron Maiden uh, Can I Play With Madness video before. Oh, it's great. Ever. So and, good. Yeah, it's fucking awesome. And he's, when, they, uh, when the archaeologist, I don't even know what the fuck he was, when he stumbles down into like the cavernous uh, lair, I was like, this is like Boxer's Omen shit. Like when he's down <laughs> in there, I was like, this is like the Black Magician's lair. But yeah, I I loved it. Not in a bad way. I I thought it was fucking great. It is a little corny like at times, but um yeah, I think it's endearing. But yeah, well, and that's just it. That's what I'm saying about some of like the more uh cheaper aspects of this movie. It's like that. It's the same way. It makes it more endearing to me. It doesn't detract from the overall experience. Anyway, so I'm trying to kind of at least give listeners some sort of um semblance of a, of a of a narrative construction here with this movie i i think it, it to save to save you some uh, headache but you can go ahead and elaborate your point if you've seen this movie you're probably listening to this podcast if you've never seen this movie you're probably not tuning in and we're doing such a terrible job for anyone who hasn't seen it that <laughs> i don't think <laughs> I, I don't think whatever we say is going to help explain anything in this movie because it is it is a see it for yourself kind of thing. But right, I, I just right. don't, I want you to save yourself a headache if you feel so inclined. Sure. No, I'm only doing it so I can kind of chronologically go through what I think is good, but it's helping me to kind of put these little, um, drop, drop these pins in these certain spots. So we get back to the second fight 
during that fight, the remainder of the black magicians of the black magic cabal, uh, they start to plan their their next attack on Hung, the the monk Hung, and this is where it starts to get crazy again where they have this ritual where <laughs> they've taken essentially a fermented body in the swamp. It's a mummified body and have put it into an alligator's corpse. And thereby they, they engage in the, the food, the masticating food regurgitating ritual that they all take part in, spit the food into the corpse with the, the mummified body, wrap it up, they unveil it as a witch, right? An evil sorceress who then plans, that's how they they, in, they initiate their next attack on Hung, where they drive pins into his eyes and he starts essentially going blind during the match. And then he wins the match miraculously. But to no great challenge because he can't see essentially, and he's just swinging wildly throughout the match, and somehow he wins. He he's able to like through technicality wins the match, and that leads him to the final portion of our saga here, <laughs> where he needs to fight the remainder of the black magicians and the evil witch sorceress at the uh, Nepalese temple. So <laughs> that whole sequence again, up to that point, just, it's just replete with so much stuff that I really like about this movie. So much cool imagery, so much weird shit going on. We, uh, in our hero's tale, Hung almost gets waylaid because as you know, he breaks one of his vows, goes back to Hong Kong, and engages in a little hanky-panky with his big booby lady friend there. And that breaks it. That breaks this I have as um, this I have as uh, my favorite good of the entire movie. So okay. <laughs> this the shower sex scene after Chan Hung returns home from Thailand before they get on, you know. Before they they get on with it, the girlfriend essentially says, like, what you need to do here is let me smell your dick. And right. then, <laughs> which is hilarious. <laughs> and then Chan Hoog returns to the temple after breaking his abstinence. Uh, and the Buddha himself is like, let me smell your dick. It's literally <laughs> a like. He goes from his girlfriend asking to smell his dick, and then he goes back, and the Buddha's like, you haven't broken any of these uh, vows, right? And he <laughs> essentially denies it, and he's like, I'm going to have to smell that dick, because things are... <laughs> I loved that whole thing. It was so fucking funny. I love that he also just came home, and that was the first fucking thing he did. Like, there's lots of, there's lots of things uh, uh, hanging on the line here, and, and you're yeah. going to... So flippantly throw it all away. Yeah, I love, I love that whole coming back home scene. Yeah, yeah. and amidst yeah. all the chaos too. Yeah, that you've already described. Right, and so that basically that leads to the final battle, uh, where 
Yes, he breaks his vow. The lead monk, the uh, the, the the monk in stasis, the limbonic monk, says, "Well, you fucked up. Now you're gonna die. <laughs> We're both gonna die now because you fucked up. You had to go get pussy, but." To redeem yourself, I'm going to lead you on this last quest, this final quest, where you go and you get essentially maple syrup, or <laughs> it's it's a it's an oil. You get an oil um, that will. Oh yeah, out of the. I, this is also like one of those movies. Like, so we usually talk about movies, uh, right? Um, you know, right after we see them. So it's been a week since I've seen this. And so like, I'm like, I'm scatterbrained with all the shit, all the crazy shit that I forgot about, like the giant underground magic mushroom that is just like oozing some sort of heavenly cum butter or whatever. Like, I don't know what, (laughs) I don't know what any of that was. I forgot about that shit. Yeah. That, that ruled. (laughs) Yeah. The, the invincibility oil. Sure that he extracts yeah. that comes from like, from like a thousand year old mushroom or something like that. So he has to utilize that in his final battle at the temple with the sorceress and the, uh, the black magicians. He's able to <laughs> cuts open his arm, puts the invincibility potion into his arm, sews it back up and he, he wins the day. So there you go. Then we have that whole final, act there where he's fighting fighting them and and then he has to fight it's essentially a a manifestation of the the ash at the buddhist temple manifests itself into a kind of uh 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 an ancient sage santa claus kung fu santa claus guy (laughs) sure (laughs) right yeah that's that's about as yeah so we end on a high note. Hung does win, and the the, uh, the the monk, his twin monk, does achieve immortality, and basically it ends on that. So that's that. Bad. Unless you got anything else you want to talk about. Well, I I do. I okay. Once again, whenever you pick a movie that you love, it's just you saying the my good is the whole movie. I I I like when you have to think about something. That's why I like when I pick movies because, well, I like when you pick movies, too. I like when you pick movies that you are conflicted with. But when you pick movies that you love, you just I don't get I, I get more out of you when you're conflicted and you have to parse what you liked and you didn't like. I like that, Adam, more. Because what I'm getting out of this is what you just did was a whole plot description of the movie. So what you're saying is you just liked everything from the beginning to the ending. <laughs> is that correct? Well, yeah, more or less. I don't. I don't have anything. I like when you're more conflicted. It it it's uh, it does it does know. add? I suppose it adds more drama to the discussion. You're correct. Yes, so I, I, I mean I have good, but we can we can move on because we're running short well, on time. I, so I I have good, but that's fine. I apologize, Pat, that I like this movie. <laughs> Fuck me. <laughs> I apologize for really liking some things in this world. <laughs> it's okay. I'm a you shouldn't. I'm, 
I'm generally a, a curmudgeonly. <laughs> uh, I want you to embrace that more. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, I just I do like this movie a lot. Um, the only I don't I don't really have any bads either, other than I've already said some of the practical effects come off, you know, pretty cheap. But I same time I I enjoy that about the movie. I think it adds an endearing, whimsical aspect to the movie. You know, other than the... I guess the only bad that I can think of, really, this would be for maybe viewers that don't necessarily dip their feet into this type of fare at all, is it's confusing. There's no... There's no logical narrative to this, really. I think it's a logical... I think it's logical in terms of like it it doesn't it doesn't have like plot holes or anything like that like it makes sure. sense in its own um you know its own tale that it's weaving it, everything yeah. is makes sense but it's it's so wackadoo that yeah. you know might be Hard to follow. Yeah, I, at one point I waved the white flag on on trying to understand the intricacies of what was going on with the story arc. Not that it, you know, the story arc is actually very simple. Like, sure, it has this trajectory journey. of yeah. yeah. It's not complicated, but I did in terms of the intricacies of like what is like why are we at this magic mushroom now? Like, there's not a ton of description as to why, but it makes sense in the end game. It's just, but I don't know why we're there or you know the 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 crocodile shit and you know there's so much crazy shit going on but i guess it all makes sense in in the world that this is created yeah i guess what i mean by it not to maybe layman's viewers or uh the viewing of the uninitiated it it doesn't it would not make sense it's the same way as you talk about Yodorovsky or anybody like this, these fantastical, mystically-minded, surreal film creators or story creators or story writers. It doesn't make sense to somebody that isn't initiated. They, they watch and, and they, they don't... All the symbolism just goes right over their heads, whatever. I will say also, maybe because this does come from place like China where you're not as well-versed or invested in the folklore and some of the cultural touch points, touchstones that go into making this. If you really A, B it in a lot of ways to say a Western fantasy, it has similarities. It has quests. It has magical devices. It has these cryptozoological entities, magic, things like that. So there's really not much difference. You, If you went and watched Game of Thrones or whatever, you'd see, oh, well, these, our protagonists are engaging in the same sort of quests or, you know, they have the same sort of intent and there's all the different sorts of things that are getting in their way to, to reach the end of their quest. So I don't know. I guess the point I'm trying to make is maybe from an ethnocentric standpoint, it doesn't make sense to Western viewers, but to 
say, someone from China, there might be a little bit more lucidity to it. I don't know. You, you get where I'm going with this? Yeah. Sort of. Yeah. So, anyways. I do. So, what do you got? Do you have any? So you don't have you don't have any bads then? So are you you're no different than yes, I am. Yes, I have. Okay, you have. No, bads. I have okay. bads. Okay, go. This Please. portrayal of the this portrayal of the Buddhist religion does a, a great disservice for anyone seeking spiritual guidance. I I <laughs> wish when I was looking, uh, you know, going through my own spirituality quest, that if I stumbled upon Buddhism, that it was like. Fucking black monks fucking fighting each other and decapitating and all this shit. That'd be tight. I wish that was in the in the literature uh, or a pamphlet of it. That'd be tight. Um, but it's not. So it's make it makes the Buddhist religion way cooler than it probably yeah. in, a, yeah, how, in actuality how, is. I was going to say, how come you never heard the Dalai Lama doing any sort of. I know conference discussions about all of this going on. What I would s- love to see him <laughs> s- like chew up some durian and spit it into the Pope's mouth. That'd be tight. Yeah. He's having a summit with the Clintons and he just starts talking about the black magic that goes into it. <laughs> That'd be great. I wish. Yeah. So the bad here is, is I wish Buddhism really was as, really was this pull of good and evil of black magic and black magicians versus righteous monks who of course every righteous monk just inherently just knows kung fu in and out so yeah i wish that was what was in actuality this is an actual bad you have bolo Jung at your disposal and you've got to mine that resource until there is adverse environmental effects like you have to destroy the earth uh, that is Bolo Jung. Uh, he was used in this incorrectly and sparingly. He's barely in this. And when he is in this, he's a total bitch. He loses both fights. I mean, technically, I mean, whatever. He loses both fights and he looks like a bitch doing it. I, I don't like how they, they, I don't like how they did my man Bolo Jung. He, he does, this movie is not great on, on the Bolo Jung uh, filmography. Um, it's funny that you mentioned that because that actually was a point that was brought up when I was reading other reviews about this movie that, yes, I'm glad that you actually did point that out. Other reviewers had made the point that, that they said that it was highly improbable that either one of these fighters would have defeated Bolo Young in a, in a fight that they both in both circumstances would have been absolutely demolished. And he has to he loses essentially to a blind person in the second one. You're telling right. me Bolo Yoon couldn't couldn't fucking beat a a blind dude? <laughs> well, and 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 that goes back to what you were saying about the the fighting aspects being the more illogical aspects because in a real world application, it's complete fantasy to think that that Bolo Young would would lose these matches to these guys. So, yes. yeah, I'm more like, like the, the spiritual evisceration and the like snake charming and eating out of like a Panera brain bread bowl. Like all that stuff was like, I was like, yeah, that stuff make that dry that like tracks, but then this boxing <laughs> stuff doesn't track for some reason. 
Yeah. I'm with you on that. So and, thank you for, for and the, and the last one. Yes, of course. Um, bad plan by Chan Hung. I mean, he doesn't need like a spiritual awakening. He needs to hit the gym here. Like just hit the yeah. goddamn gym. He needed a training montage of some sort or just like, well, he does he have training visit. montages. He does. He does have, that's true. <laughs> he does have training montages, but instead of, uh, you know, actually doing boxing regiment, he is, uh, he's not hitting the gym. He's hitting the monastery. So that, that's different. <laughs> Yeah, he's hit. Yeah, he's hitting the Buddhist temple hard, but you know he needs to get himself in the gym. What? What if we had? That's a big roundabout way of training. We should. We should do one of these dumb little YouTube uh, hybrid sort of things that people do with movies, where we should take this movie and during the monastery training montages, we should put just. Like Kenny Loggins and soundtrack. <laughs> yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> or uh, that's what they need. That's what this. Of course, we honkied this movie up. That's what this movie needed was <laughs> was more honky bullshit. Survivor. Snuck Kenny Loggins in. Yeah. Could, where, where, could you get Robert Tepper on the blower? <laughs> <laughs> we honky uh, the movie up. We love we love the nods to Argento, but couldn't there be like some fucking <laughs> Where was the Soul Asylum? I was missing some some shit here. Yeah. Come on, give us this version that we're we're discussing. <laughs> um, yeah, we can move on to questionable. Okay. Well, I'm going to leave it to you because I don't know. I just kind of gave up. Honestly, I only have one part you of my question. You could ask all the questions in the world, or you could ask none. Right. Really. Precisely. Um, my solitary question was, I want to know what that procession that they show in Thailand there towards the beginning, where the attendees are all dressed as animals and adult babies, is related to. Do you remember that por- portion? Yes, I just chalked it up to another part of this movie (laughs) just like i didn't even i stopped asking questions at one point yeah but i feel that that is not something that's necessarily it's not tied to the story no no, it's not intentionally weird for weird sake yeah i don't know that's that that's an actual cultural ritual that is engaged in and i want to know you know it's like a you know a day of the dead type fest thing i want to know what what its meaning is in Thailand or wherever. That's a good so, question. Yeah. That that was my solitary question. What do you have? Nothing. I don't have any real questions. All right. Well, fair enough. We'll wrap it up there then. <laughs>
you have anybody for the David Mendelhall Award that, uh, for the worst performance? I mean, I guess the girlfriend? I don't know. Like, right. she's... Like, her acting is not as as mediocre as everyone else. <laughs> so, like, no, it's knocking it out of the park. But hers seems subpar. Yeah, and she's such an inconsequential part of this movie. She you is, know, too. Yeah, really, she's there for tit, tits on glass. Tits on glass. She's she's there, for, yeah, for the titties. Literally, uh, twice. She's only inserted for, for those reasons. Yeah. Um, but that's not on her. Like, I don't want to say, like, that's her fault, but... She's probably a fine I think actor. her performance is also bad, so, you know, whatever. The Frank Booth Award that goes to the character who best belongs in a David Lynch movie, well, I mean, everyone, I guess. <laughs> or, and none of them. Everyone and no one. No one was giving me those vibes, though. Uh, not to get off on a tangent too much, uh, because I hadn't really even thought about this until recently, but have you seen Inland Empire? The last no, it's one movie. of the... I, yeah, one of the one of the few David Lynch movies I've just not seen. Yeah, I haven't seen it either. I had no idea that it was also completely filmed on digital, so it has that. Oh wow! Yeah, so it has a weird, it has a weird texture to it that I guess was intentional on David Lynch's part to give it his signature Lynchian vibe. Anyways. Sorry, that was, again, just tangential. I just thought about that. Um, (laughs) The E.G. Daily Secret Admirer Award goes to our biggest on-screen crush. I put the Sorceress? You you do get to see her boobs, too. I don't know if you remember that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm getting rid of this category because it just, we are, every time we go into this category, we are, like, knuckle-dragging... The beginning of 2001, uh, where all the all the ape creatures are just dragging bones and <laughs> looking at the obelisk and grunting Scr- and pounding their chest. Yeah. yeah, we are transported. I I mean, I just feel like I'm always put in a weird position here, but I'll guess I'll go with tits on glass girl. <laughs> I mean, see, you that's came up I'll with this. With. But let's be honest with I know, ourselves. I'm regretting it. I don't let's like be, it. <laughs> right. Let's be honest with ourselves here, though, Pat. As you know, you, I know you like to flagellate yourself about your choices when we get to this point. But this didn't come from a pure place. When we were discussing EG Daily before, you, you, you I was astounded at how much discussion you had to, <laughs> had to interject about your boner. It wasn't. This is. This was, uh, there was nothing this, innocent and pure about the origins of this. <laughs> no, but this is a reminder that they can't all be EG dailies and they're not going to be. And so it's really. It's an exercise in futility. Well, let's wait until we get to the end of this season. We'll, we'll see. Maybe, maybe it'll average out <laughs> by the end. <laughs> Possibly, <laughs> but you're right. It did. It did start with very sinister intentions, <laughs> right? So don't and now give I'm me like, that. and now I'm shocked that it's that. Yeah, I don't know <laughs> the duality of the duality of man here. I don't know. 
Uh, and finally, the welcome to primetime bitch award goes to the best one-liner. I don't know. I didn't have anything. Um, there's, it's not like these foreign movies very rarely have like, I just, it's everything's gets lost in translation. And I think one-liners is a, uh, is, is typically a Western philosophy, like Western film philosophy, right. like the yes. big dick action the movies zing, and stuff. The zingers. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure there was one in there that I was, oh, that's very cool that you guys say that, but um, didn't have anything that was noteworthy enough to put it down. So, all right. Wiki Wormhole, don't have anything. The only thing I have is, this is one thing I didn't know, and so now I will seek this movie out. had no idea about this until I watched it this time. This is actually a sequel to a movie called Bewitched. Came out two years prior. What the fuck? <laughs> that yeah. is that, that in on face value is funny. Just to think that this was like a <laughs> this was like a, a sequel of of Dick Van Dyke's. Uh, is that who's in Bewitched? Did I get the wrong actor? Yeah, it's not Dick Van Dyke. It's uh, there's a uh, Dick Sargent and there's um, what's the other Dick? Dick Sergeant and look. Oh, Dick there York. was a dick. It's just the wrong dick. Yeah, oh, there's Dick, dick York, Dick Sergeant. Dick yeah, Dick York and Dick Sergeant. The two. Darren is that? That's uh, Samantha's husband's name. Yes. I'm realizing he, I don't know anything about Bewitched, but oh, having yeah. looked up Bewitched, so never mind. I I take back everything I said. But it is funny to think that this was a. <laughs> a sequel to the TV show Bewitched, because that's just funny. Yeah. No, not the same. I will say, anecdotally, loved the show Bewitched. Watched it pretty frequently when I was growing up. And I Dream of Genie. So, definitely big, big early crushes, on-screen crushes there for me. Speaking of E.G. Daily. So, that was my little aside. Body count for this... I guess we're going to have to refer to we have two black magicians, a monk. Wait, no, we have five black magicians, a monk, there's six, and the evil sorceress. Seven? I think we have seven, yes. Sure. There you I go. completely forgot to keep count, so... Yes, I believe that is our body count. Oh, wait. There's all the fellas that die in the beginning, the gangsters. However many that is. We're going to say 13. 13 people die in this movie. Pales in comparison. Okay, great. Yes, record still dead alive, holding strong, 87. I don't know if we're ever going to beat that. Rating. What are we going to rate this out of? So much to choose from, Pat, as far as our iconography goes. Oh, boy. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Those cute little adorable spiders. Yeah, that sounds good. How so many adorable of, felt spiders? <laughs> out of five um, Spirit Halloween store House decoration spiders, evil black magi- magic spiders. What did you rate this, Pat? Huh. I know this is probably going to be a tough one for you. I feel like it's tough because I, I really did like it a lot. 
Um, but then I always struggle with if I would the replay. I think the replay value on this is uh, is higher than um, the ones we've talked about that you've chosen this this season. Like higher than Manson Family. Uh, I, I really right. would come back and and rewatch this for sure. Um, I would say three and a half. Three and a half. Okay. I was going to say four, but but I, I did enjoy it a great deal. I give this four and a half. I really like this movie a lot. This is in the past decade. One of those just revelatory movies for me that opened my eyes to just really something different. Yeah. So four and a half out of five spiders for me, three and a half for you. I wanted to give it a little, little bit of wiggle room. I know I do gush about this movie, but I'm trying to be better about not just willy-nilly giving perfect scores to things you know just really trying to be oh a little bit yeah more. no you gotta you gotta save those for when, when it's special <laughs> when it's a special special time it's a special time for everyone all right well you know pat i'm really looking forward to this week's choice from you i really want to know what you're gonna throw at my feet what movie are we watching next week what do you got? Well, I didn't want to – I just didn't want to think too hard or go on a quest necessarily. I'm having some hangover from the Boxer's Omen a little bit. So I just want to have some fucking fun. I just want to watch a movie, which I had fun watching this. But it's taxing watching something that is so laden with bat shittery. <laughs> so – we're just going to watch Detroit Rock City and have a fucking awesome goddamn time. And I don't know any opinions of yours on it, but it's one of my favorite, favorite road movies, favorite comedies, favorite, favorite everything. I fucking love that movie. Let's have some fun and watch Detroit Rock City. Not what I was, I, I was expecting at all to be brought to the table for this, this podcast at all. So fantastic. I, I'm looking forward to that. So next time, my friends, we're going to get, uh, we're going to lick it up. Lick it up. This has been another deep dive into midnight movie madness. Big thanks to Charlotte Blythe for our intro music, our outro music. This episode is provided by Slayer Black Magic. Seems apropos. Oh, nice. Can't think of anything better right now or more weird. Probably something that is more suited. Anyways. um, So if you're looking to submit a question to us, feel free to do so at midnightflixpod at gmail.com. That's F-L-I-X. We have an Instagram at midnightflixpod and a TikTok where you can see Pat and I do all the latest hip-hop dancing to epic montages of movies we discussed. And is there anything else am I forgetting? I don't have the script in front of me. I think that's it. No. Uh, All right. So we're going to see you next time in Detroit, brothers and sisters. Kick out the jams, lick it up, all that. Goodbye. Goodbye.